Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you navigating puberty and perimenopause at your house? How did Mother Nature decide that was a good idea? This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Are you navigating puberty and perimenopause at your house? If so, you are not alone. As noted in a 2021 New York Times parenting newsletter article titled, When Your Home is a Hormonal Hellscape, the average age of first parenthood has increased in recent years, so many of us find ourselves going through perimenopause and approaching midlife around the same time our kids are going through puberty. Talk about a potentially volatile combination, eh? And here's the real kicker. Both perimenopause and puberty can last for years. Joining us today to talk about parenting and midlife in general is Anne Douglas, author of the best-selling Mother of All book series and Parenting Through the Storm, a fantastic book about parenting children through psychological challenges. Her latest book is Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and wildly encouraging guide for midlife women. Welcome, Anne. Oh, it's so great to be here, Jennifer. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I have to ask for your reaction to the title of that New York Times um, (laughs) newsletter article first, when your home is a hormonal hellscape. I really like it because sometimes people just try to soft pedal the challenges and it's like, no, let's be real about it. So that that way, if you're that person thinking, I mean, you know, everybody else is coasting through this just fine. You don't feel like it's just you because it is totally not just you. You know, I, I was reading your book and what you said just there, you know, you think it's just you and it's not was a topic that had just recently come up in my life and in my Building Boys Facebook group. Another parent said, hey, I've been going through this stuff and, you know, it's tough. And I found myself pulling away and almost hiding because I didn't want to admit to you all I was struggling, but I'm struggling. And one of the points you make in your book is that this is easier if we have people around us and we can admit and say, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing right now. And I'm overwhelmed. Talk about that a little bit. Oh, I have to tell you, like I am... um such a believer in peer support, like no matter Mm. what it is you're dealing with in life, right? You don't just want to be able to just talk to just anybody who may not necessarily relate, you want somebody else who knows how hard it is, and who won't judge, right? And that comes from layers and layers of shared experience. So whether it's via an online group, or, you know, an in community kind of group, I think just Find your people because we were never meant to go through any life stage on our own, let alone midlife, which 
is quite the roller coaster ride. I know some of the women I interviewed for my book said it's sort of like reverse puberty. And we talk a lot about like the hormonal upheaval in that direction. So why would it be any different? That's one thing I found myself thinking about. Um, Early in your book, you point out, you know, midlife roughly, like, when is that? Seems like a reasonable question. 40 to 60. And I'm like, ooh, I'm 50 already. I'm halfway through this already. It tends to sneak up on us. And you said that as well. Yes. I mean, I sort of feel like, you know, North America's most clueless human because, (laughs) I mean, who gets to be like, for me, I was around 55, 56. I thought, well, I've probably arrived at midlife. And it was my dad who gave me the reality check. He said, well, exactly. How long are you planning to live? It's like, okay, well, if I do the math, I guess that means, yeah, I get it. But, but I think I just was so caught up with all the challenges we were dealing with as a family, that until the last child left home, and I caught my breath, and I looked at the date on the calendar, I didn't really clue into the fact that I was in midlife. And it's funny, because I feel like I entered the pandemic years, just as like feeling like a newbie at midlife, where clearly I wasn't, ah. I'd been at it for a while. And now that you know, we're sort of coming through something that's maybe a little bit more normal, but still feels very, very weird. I kind of feel like I'm I'm entering into like another phase, like maybe I'm starting to feel like an older person as opposed to a midlife person. It's like, so what I end up with like a three or four year midlife? I don't think so. I don't think you're allowed to do that. I don't know. I think maybe you are. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because I wonder, I think for our kids, some of our kids too, like their experience of puberty is going to be very different than previous generations because of the pandemic. There was this interruption and like, we're not talking a little interruption. We all know this. It was a massive disruption and people didn't get to experience some of the life milestones in, in interactions in the ways they usually do. So I'm sure that our children's experience will be different too. And it's likely disorienting to them as well. And we're disoriented and we all have hormones. This is a lot going on. Yes, exactly. It really does feel like a lot. And, um, you know, just even having had the luxury of having these conversations during the pandemic, I really feel like um, most of my research was done in the first year. So it was a time when people were deeply Mm. craving human contact. And so I had like these lovely one hour zoom interviews with so many people. And I feel like it was it was a moment of reflection when we were all stopping and thinking like what is the world going to be like as we come out of this thing at some point and also like there's that sort of taking in the broader view that happens at midlife anyways where you, you suddenly notice that you're at, on the midpoint of this journey and you spend a lot of time thinking about the person you were when you were younger and the person you hope to be as you grow older and what i find fascinating is how there's some things like there's some threads of continuity and then there are some things that are all about like growth and change. So when I look back to younger me, I think 12 year old me would have said, you really, you got to have kids, you got to write books, you get to live in a natural area and go for walks in nature every day. It's like you were living my 12 year old dream life. And yet that person was a lot shyer, a lot less assertive than the person I am now. So that that 12 year old me might've said, And when did you start having so many opinions that you felt you had to sort of say out loud to people? I guess 
That was one of the gifts of midlife. You sort of get to the point where you think enough, some of this stuff is ridiculous. And I absolutely have to speak out and and continue to work for a better world because like the way things are not good enough in my humble opinion. All right. I'm going to jump ahead to something that I was going to talk to you about later, but you saying that made me think of it. One of my favorite sentences in your entire book is this one. Even wild elephants have figured out that it's the older matriarchs you want to turn to in times of trouble. And that likely resonated with me partly because like many people, I just watched the um, National Geographic series about the wild elephants and yeah, they're amazing. And I feel like the elephants get it and the humans don't because you know, you've been living in this society uh, there is not this natural inclination to look towards the older matriarchs for guidance in times of trouble in our human societies. I know. I think it starts with the jokes about the mum jeans and it kind of goes downhill from there. Cause I did not love the mum jean jokes at the time when I was living through that phase. Right. Right. And I had the weirdest thing happen again. I think it was in the first year of the pandemic. I was doing some online volunteer work and I was at a committee meeting and it was the first time in my life I really felt invisible. Somebody asked a Mm. question and I answered the question and then they asked the question again and I answered the question again. And the and when the guy asked the question for the third time, I finally said, like, is my mic not turned on? Like, I'm not quite sure why you aren't hearing my answer. But he literally was just waiting for somebody more important or more, you know, more intelligent than me to basically say the thing I had already just said. And it was like, it was so infuriating. I still remember it vividly yes. three years later. And I also realized like I have been relatively privileged in my life. That was one of the first times I ever felt shoved off stage. So it was really, you know, a moment of recognition. And it also made me think like, what about other people who face that every moment of yeah. their life? So it sort of expanded my, I think my capacity for empathy at the same time. You know, that, um, that combination of society kind of wanting to shunt us aside we live in this very youth-centric culture you know if you don't look like you're 23 well why should we even why should we give you space on this planet and those of us who are parenting um children who may be still going through their teen years and and not yet matured um as you know as a parent teenagers do not often think we are the most intelligent people on the planet teenagers can be downright cruel sometimes in letting you know how little they think you know it is so humbling right and and some of that is good for us like some of it but what words do you have for women who are trying to navigate that like it can be really really tough as you know when this child that you have spent more than a decade pouring your everything into you know, start saying or implying through their body language that you don't know anything. And meanwhile, you're maybe you're getting that message out in the world. Um, What advice do you have for that mama? Well, I think I would really want that person to know that they are not alone. I often think about a time when my daughter was in her mid teens. And at this point, like I was I was making my living writing parenting books and speaking at parenting conferences and so on. And she looked at me one day, and rolled her eyes and said, my friends think it's hilarious that you write parenting books. It's like, okay. Oh, my kids have told me that directly, that they 
think it's hilarious. Like you write parenting books. <laughs> yes. So it can be very humbling. And I think the other thing I would say is that sometimes you get appreciation. There's just about a decade long leg. So you have to not <laughs> be expecting immediate positive recognition. But like now my, my daughter is in her early 30s. And she's like, lovely, like one of my favorite humans. And she'll often say, Oh, I'm sorry, I was such a pill when I was a teenager, like I was really difficult. And of course, I'm trying to be generous and kind about it and say, Oh, it wasn't that bad. It really was that bad, Jennifer. It was like terrible. But you know, yes. but we lived through it and came out the other side. And now she can see what all the all the hard calls we had to make and having rules that maybe other families didn't have in an effort to keep her safe at a time when she was not doing a great job of that on her own. But wow, <laughs> that, that parenting at midlife, and often our children are at their, their, um, it's not midlife, but you know, their puberty, their huge developmental growth stage, they're going through something. It's so hard for me. And some of it is my inexperience. I mean, every stage you enter is harder if you've never done it before, right? Parenting an infant was harder the first time than the fourth time I did it. Yeah. Um, but parenting teenagers is the hardest thing I have ever did in my life, Anne. <laughs> it really is hard because I think it's like, you know, if, if with your baby, you can sort of say, oh, they're so cute and adorable and so on. And, you know, teenagers can be very prickly and very unappreciative. And, you know, they can sort of like, they're trying to carve out their own space. So they, you know, they kind of tend to push you away. Like, I remember the first time I overheard my daughter say to somebody on the phone, I'm not doing anything important. I was just talking to my mother. It's like, ow, crushed my heart. It's been a little helpful for me just in recent years. And yes, it did take me years to realize this, that there is, the, there's parallels between, you know, our transition as, as females into our menopausal years and our kids transitions through puberty. These are massive stages of change. They take years. It is a time of, of questioning and upheaval. And uh, in some ways that makes it uniquely challenging. And in others, I, I think it may present some unique opportunities for kind of growth and understanding the youth of the older people, the older people of the youth. Um, what do you think? I love the fact that when you're at midlife, you tend to sort of start questioning everything because there, there's been enough change in your life and in your lifetime mm. that you know that like nothing is a fixed reality. So, you know, the number of, of people I know who have made major life changes personally and professionally and stuff, it's a lot like the identity quest of adolescence when you're trying to figure out who oh. am I and how do mm -hmm. I fit into the world. A lot of people are asking themselves those same questions at midlife with, you know, a couple of decades of, of figuring things out and then maybe saying, you know what, I trained for this career and this isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life. I mean, even me, I mean, I, I've written 26 nonfiction books. And now I'm trying to teach myself how to write a novel, which is both like creatively overwhelming and thrilling. Like, I don't think I've been this alive in terms of creativity since I was that 12 year old kid sitting on a rock in the woods, knowing she wanted to grow up and write. Books. And now it's like, and yes, I've always wanted to write a novel. So even if it takes me the rest of my life to figure this out, this is what I'm going to do. Like every day I'm going to wake up excited and, and, you know, try to figure, figure out how you even do this thing that 
you know, a whole bunch of other people on the planet have apparently done looking at the size of my bookcase behind right. me, but that I do, I honestly don't know what I'm doing. It sounds so positive when you put it that way, right? Because right now you've got the, okay, maybe this thing I was doing is not what I want to keep doing forever. I'm very excited and I'm going to go forward to this next thing. It's not always that neat or easy. A lot of times there's the, um, I have spent a lot of time and often money training for developing these skills. I, I don't know that I want to keep doing this anymore, but at the same time, I don't know that I have the time, money, freedom, or finances to do the next thing. And you can feel stuck in this limbo for a very yeah. long time, almost paralyzed. Right. Or terror. Like I know a lot of writers who are very worried about all the upheaval in the the writing profession because- you know, what if sort of more, more, you know, garden variety stuff like writing sports stories, what if that can be done with with chat bots? What if people un- misunderstand and, and underestimate what writers actually bring to the process? Like yes. the thinking part, you can only train um, a computer to do the kind of thinking that's been done in the past. It's not going to be able to it can't do like something the brilliant new. things that haven't been invented yet. And that's what we want. And like, do we want to rehash old broken ideas that didn't help the world? No, I do not think we have time for that, frankly. Mm-hmm. So we'll return to this conversation more on midlife after these messages from our sponsors. Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of Uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order, because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. And also people who through no choice or agency of their own they like they have curveballs lobbed at them a partner decides to leave a relationship or there's like a business bankruptcy that affects them like you know I interviewed so many women who had been through those kind of curveballs and I think like you said there's that that sort of like body slammed shocked feeling at first when you're trying to sort of orient yourself to what's the new reality and the financial precarity of being a woman in our society growing older. Cause we had, a lot of us had interruptions for care work. We weren't paid the same rates as men. Maybe we had to leave the workforce for, for times to help, you know, an aging parent on a top of child rearing, like there are just so many different factors. And so I feel like there's a lot of shame around money in, in women as they age. Like I I had a couple of women say to me, like, I feel like I I sort of like blew it. Like what, what should I have done differently? It's like, well, you know, I mean, given that you had 
Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about that a little bit because I will admit, you know, I am here at midlife and I am very proud of what I have accomplished. I have mostly raised my children, mostly, you know, I've got early 20s and I've still got a 17 year old at home. So there's work to be done there. And I mean, you're smiling. You're never fully done, done. You're always a parent. I've mostly raised my children. I have managed to carve out a career. I worked as a freelance writer. I was able to combine the writing and the parenting. And yet, because of the choices I made, which I can see now were largely because there's no good answers in the United States for combining work and parenting, right? I don't, I'm not part of a corporate structure. There's nobody looking at me going, you know what? You have a lot of knowledge. Let's give you a raise. Let's put into your 401k. It's all me. And I'm a little discouraged by that. And I'm not alone in that, am I? No. And I mean, I think that People who are not authors have no idea that being an author, unless you are like, you know, one part of the fraction of a 1% who make a lot of money, like it is a really hard slog and it never gets easier. And you can put like multiple years into a book project that I know I did the math on this with one of my recent books. I figured out I made more as a babysitter in the 1970s than I did on an hourly rate on one of my most recent books that I have to say was a really good book. It was the culmination of decades of lived experience as a parent and interviews. And, you know, it was like me at the top of my game as a, uh, as a parenting book author, making less money than before I ever had my first job. So people need to understand that and how that affects the landscape. Like, Um, I have a little bit of retirement savings just because during the peak earning years for some of my books, I was able to put some money away. But I know other writers who literally their entire lives has been living paycheck to paycheck. And that is not okay. Like I really feel like the devaluing of this is where I'm going to get very soapboxy. Go for it. Of arts work and creative work and women's work. And so like, if you do what we did, Jen, like this, this was not smart financial planning to write about care work issues, because you're just like, you're, you're adding layers of people don't care about this in terms of monetary compensation. I so appreciate you sharing that listeners. Thanks for coming along with us on the journey because, and like you're totally validating everything that I've been feeling as well. You know, my, my um, building boys book just came out guaranteed that financially I would have been better off taking a job at McDonald's and working the same number of hours. Financially, I would have been better off. And that is sad. It is a sad, sad, sad commentary on how little our societies value care work and value what it takes to do it well, because we are the older matriarchs. Like there's, there's bodies of wisdom that you have pulled together. And others benefit. And I think often we were in a position to be able to do that. There are other people who have so much wisdom and experience and skills to offer who don't even get the chance. Yeah. And that's infuriating. And that's why everything in our society is so messed up. Because it's just a small circle of very privileged people who have the opportunity to and the resources. Because we all know like a wealthy author who has the ability to you know spend fifty thousand dollars on a publicist to push a book out into the world that book will be noticed a lot more than 
me who hired my daughter-in-law for 10 hours a month to do like whatever she can to help. Like that's my, that's my publicity budget. <laughs> you know what my, um my agent did suggest I hire a publicist and I'm like, well, I really can't afford to spend three times as much on a publicist as you paid me to write the book in the first place. I just, I'm not in an economic position to do that. Exactly. And I, I really think like um, there's so much internalized shame that writers feel if their book doesn't get on a bestseller list. And I think people need to know that a lot of a lot of what determines that happens when a book is acquired and a publishing house decides that this will be a bookseller, a bestseller. And they basically pour the resources in to make that happen. And you know what books people don't value? Books about parenting or, you know, even here in Canada, we have like a library system where authors get paid for the like the circulation of their book in the public library yeah. system. Yeah. And for years, they disqualified you if you wrote a parenting book. So I, I remember having a little temper tantrum about it one day to my husband saying, oh, basically, the criteria is if your book helps somebody, it doesn't qualify. That is crazy. Listeners, we have a lot of authors on this podcast. You know that. And it's partly because um, I'm a writer and I know a lot of authors. I follow a lot of authors. Uh, and it's because Janet's a reader and because we both really value the work of those parenting authors and those working in the space who have such great information to share with us. I have said many, many, many times that like the more you understand about boys, the more you learn about yourself, the more tools you develop, the easier this parenting gig gets. That's good for all of us. That is good for the world. That's why we do what we do. It's why you do what you do. And yeah. listeners, I encourage you, if you have five minutes, two minutes, go write a review of a book that you have loved. Write an Amazon review if you can. If you don't like Amazon, write a Goodreads review. These things do make a huge difference to authors. And you have heard Anne share and me share, uh, you know, we're not necessarily being well compensated for this. Certainly it's not all about the money, but it is also about the money. And <laughs> our work deserves to be valued as well. Right. Like, so we don't have to apologize to our families that, you know, I'm sorry that it actually cost me money to write this book. Yes. I hope you don't mind that we're not, you know, I'm getting a new refrigerator. <laughs> we need one of those at my house, actually. It, it It is funny, too, this devaluing of parenting. And I think a lot of women do feel and notice this at midlife, because whether you have had a high powered career out of the house or not, however you have cobbled together work in life, there are a lot of us who get to midlife and feel like we have not been fully valued for our contributions in this world. Yes. And yet, if you think about like the creative thinking abilities that emerge and the problem solving skills that emerge from having had to raise a human, like it is massive. I mean, any middle manager that thinks like, oh, it's really hard managing people of different generations, do it 24-7 for 18 <laughs> years and then call us and we'll talk about it. I was on vacation recently with a friend of mine and I told you before we started recording, I took your book with me. I took Navigating the Messy Middle with me on the vacation and I'll come back to that. But this friend of mine is a VP of HR for a large company and listening to her talk about some of the situations that she deals with. 
I'm like, that's parenting. That's parent. She has four kids too. She knows she's using the same exact skills that she uses to manage all the conflicts and drama with her children. It's the same thing in HR. Yeah. Yeah. Setting boundaries, having expectations, communicating, all of those skills. And I know for a while there, there were some parenting authors who became crossover authors into the business category because they were looking for a way to pay the bills. And it made so much sense to me, right? Yes. Yes. So your book, Navigating the Messy Middle, I had to wait a little bit for this because you are Canadian and it came out in Canada before it was available in the US, right? Yes, just because I have a small Canadian publisher for this book. And just resource wise, they don't have the ability to sort of like instantly push it out in multiple markets. So I had to like, I felt like I was giving birth to the same book three times, like in Canada, in the US and in the UK. And you know what, I forgot the birth of my UK baby this week. Oh, I'm so (laughs) sorry. Happy UK birthday book. Yes. So your book happened to arrive at my house. The same day I had been gone at a conference, I came home, your book got there the same day that my first copies of my book came. Meanwhile, I'm coming home post-conference, figuring out what is it I do for a living, catching up with that, what's going on with the children, all of that craziness. Um, I so wanted to dive into your book, but there was no way I could. So finally, I get to go on vacation and it's like, I am taking this with me because you mentioned this tendency we have towards a bit of self-reflection and where am I and what am I doing at midlife? And yet we're all so damn busy. It seems like we don't have the time to do that. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I felt like for many years I was treading water and I actually got in a really unhealthy pattern where I was staying up until 2 a.m. at night because that was the only time I could get time to myself. And over time I got like hugely emotionally and physically depleted, but I think that was like my little inner self saying, you know, I need some solitude, I need like even just a few minutes of of time just for me. Do not recommend that strategy to anybody who wants to be a functioning human over the long run. But I think that it's that craving for time and space. Or if my husband would take the kids camping for a few days, it was like, I felt like I'd won the lottery. I didn't want to go anywhere. I just wanted to have the house to myself. I will freely admit that I followed that same exact technique for a number of years. And sure, it feels kind of good in the moment. But the problem was that the kids still had to get up at the same time in the morning. And so did I. And it never seemed like a good idea in the morning. And yet it took me years to figure out that this is an unhealthy pattern. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits. And I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.com 
style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. From this side of it, you know, you've been that busy and on that treadmill. And you know that even when you start approaching midlife or you realize you're in midlife, it's not like things stop and you get a natural pause to really ponder where you're at. So what thoughts do you have for women as to how to make some space or carve out little bits of time to cope, to honor where they're at, to deal with some of these questions? Yeah, part of it can be having somebody else who's in your circle of friends or family members, if you have a sibling around the same age, somebody you really connect with and trust to have ongoing conversations about this, because then you can process a lot of the thinking and the learning together. And it's fascinating to learn sort of like from another human what they're figuring out. And, you know, like I noticed the other day, I was sitting outside I was, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a pressing deadline. I thought like, did I really have to wait 59 years for life to slow down enough for me to notice the smell of the pine trees and the song of the birds and, and so on. Like it just, it's such an interesting time where I think when I was younger, I was really panicked. I thought like, what am I going to do when I start to, to eventually slow down career wise a little bit? Like, who will I even be if I'm not working this hard? And now I realize like, I have proven so much that I felt like I had to prove to the world. Like I wrote some successful books when I was younger. And now I feel I don't have that same pressure to achieve that I had when I was younger. And I measure success in very different ways. The number of opportunities I'm approached with that I say no to because I don't, um, you know, I don't feel good about the brand or the the opportunity, or I don't want to travel that far for so Mm. little money. Yes, I'm saying this from a point of privilege, for sure, because I can pick and choose some of my opportunities. But I never would have given myself permission to say no to things when I felt like I was climbing up the career mountain. So it 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 does feel good. And I mean, like, obviously, I'm still trying to learn and, and grow as a writer and as a human, but without that sense of doing it from a place of unworthiness. Like, I think there's a lot of self-acceptance and self-knowledge mm. that's arrived at this point. Like, even just the fact that I can celebrate having, like, bionically curly wild hair. I mean, it even showed up on my book cover, right? So... I love the cover of the book. Um, I'll put a picture in the show notes. And I, you know, I hope that a number of you will go buy the book. Anyway, the cover is just visually engaging. And it's a lot of fun. It is. I really loved it. I mean, I, uh, who knew that like messy hair could become a brand? I, I love this whole idea of the messy middle, too, yeah. because life is messy. There's, I don't care about those perfect pictures on Instagram. That is not life. And you have to find ways to find joy pockets of it amidst the mess, or you're going to be a very unhappy person. 
Yes. And anytime somebody gives you a piece of advice that says you just need to, I stop listening because nothing in life is that simple. I always think like, on the one hand, you could try this. On another hand, you could try yes. that. This other thing works for another person I know. Like, I think that's where the wisdom of midlife comes from. Just combining all those pieces in a way that feels real and even possible for you. You know, one of the challenging things about midlife, actually all of life, now that I say it out loud, our experiences are so different and variable. So, you know, you talk about physical changes that women may experience or experience as we um, are at midlife. And you read about the symptoms that can accompany the transition to menopause. It feels a lot like reading the list of COVID symptoms early on where it's like, oh, so pretty much anything. <laughs> yes. I came across this greeting card and it was all about welcome to menopause. And it said, you may experience, and it was like a pharmacy label, but they had to carry it over the entire back of the greeting card because it could be like 50 different things. And it could be, you'll have this symptom this week and then next month, surprise, we're going to switch it up for you. So I think it's so hard for women to have any sense of, we all want to know, like, is this normal or should I be worried about this? And what you're telling us in your book, first of all, is that don't assume it's going to be a horrible experience. It's not right. for most women. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think only about five to 10% of women find it really is life upending. That is so encouraging for me because so often you read articles and it seems to imply that that's, that's the case. It's going to be miserable. Right. And so we want to know, like, where do we fit along that continuum? Like, should I worry? Is this something I need to do something about? And even if you do talk to other women, you can get very mixed messages because we can have, say, five women sitting at lunch and we're all having a very different experience. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is where, you know, when you when you go to see your your doctor or your, you know, your primary health person, um, going in with a list of questions and just like, I, I love the when to worry question because- you know, I had like a dental emergency last week. And so I, I'm going to get another round of antibiotics. And, and it's like a it's a conversation about, you know, um, what level of pain is manageable and so on. Mm. And, and, you know, if it's about to spike into like, you know, sky high territory again, I'm not signing up for round two of that. Mm -mm. So maybe we do something a little more preemptive this time. And it's the same with menopause. Like, I can cope with so much sleep loss, but if I'm never getting reliable sleep and it's affecting my physical and mental health and my relationships, that's gone from a little bit annoying to life upending, right? I'm glad you said that because it seems like as we women navigate this transition, like real self-care, I'm not talking manicures or retail therapy, although I enjoy both of those things at times. <laughs> enjoy whatever you want. But real self-care, like getting enough sleep, um, getting time in nature, rest and rejuvenation, physical activity, it's so important for anybody navigating huge changes in their life. Um, it's so important for our children who may be going through puberty as well with all those developmental demands. And yet it just seems like it is um, this psychically unfair, crazy thing that it gets harder for us often to sleep during perimenopause, during puberty. That's craziness. Like who, who designed us this way? What is your advice for people who are struggling with like balancing these physical symptoms with trying to take care of themselves? 
Yeah, I think just ask yourself, like, what is reasonable and possible for me right now? Because um, it's no secret that early on in my, uh, my midlife journey, I was really physically depleted, I was carrying around an awful lot of extra weight, I was I was completely sedentary. Um, I was basically I had a three year clinical depression where I, it was hard to even get off the couch to do anything. I, I, I missed a book deadline, like it was just like a tor- a horrible, horrible, dark time. And I sort of started coming back from that in really baby steps, like literally going for a 15 minute walk mm. three times a week, because that's all I could handle. I had debilitating pain in my feet and so on. And just trying to think like, okay, maybe I can do this. And with the sleep thing, I think the hardest part for me was lying there thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like it's 3am. I have to get up in four hours. I do not have time to have insomnia. And realizing that a better approach would be to say, okay, fine. If my body wants to be awake for an hour, I'll just read a novel. And then at some point I'll fall asleep reading, but that's much more healthy than sort of raging at the universe at 3am like I was inclined to do. So that does tend to be our inclination. And for a lot of us, it's not helpful because you, you, you amp up your anxiety and then it spirals and it gets even worse. It is healthier and better. Okay, I'm going to do some deep breathing for a while. Or I'll yeah. just... And you know what? It was only a couple of years that I had, uh, only a couple of years, only women can say, right? This, right? It was only a couple of years that my sleep was massively disrupted. And after I came through menopause, then um, it settled down again. And now I can sometimes go to bed at 10 o'clock and, at night and not wake up until eight in the morning. It's like, it feels like I won the sleep lottery some days. Yay. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Um, from your vantage point right now, you know, having raised your children, uh, how old did you say your youngest is right now? I mentioned, you mentioned your daughter's in her thirties. Yeah. But my kids now range from 25 to 34. Okay. Okay. So your youngest is 25. You know, your kids are, they're doing their thing. You're still involved in their lives. Um, I love that you have those relationships. You're on that other side. You've gone through some of these physical changes and you wrote a whole book about midlife, which involves all that research and learning and connecting with all these other people with all of that knowledge. What would you share with, you know, Anne 15 years ago, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time and, and talk to yourself and prepare yourself? Yeah, I think if I knew that this would be such a joyous life stage, I would have been surprised because at that point, I was not very happy or healthy, right? I was completely burnt out. And I remember feeling that I'd fallen into a dark pit, and I was never going to figure out how to climb out. It was like an awful, awful time. And to think that sometimes I wake up in the morning, like the other day, it sounds like I'm almost like a Disney character in a novel, but like I was woken up by birdsong out my window. And just that sense that I actually could make choices about how I could spend my day. It's like, what? Who would have known this was even possible? And it literally felt like I was running a marathon for, for decades you know, four kids, lots of struggles, some marital upheaval, like just all these things. And like, did I choose a low stress profession? No, I did not. Right. So just layers and layers of stress. And then suddenly, the race didn't matter as much. And it was more about, um, you know, feeling happy with who I am, and my contributions to the world. I feel like I, I gave the world four really interesting humans, like the, the world still is going to have some adventures, thanks to my parenting. <laughs> <laughs> and 
also like I'm really proud of a lot of the books that I've written. I mean, yes. they they never became number number one bestsellers, but they helped people. Like I wrote a book about miscarriage, stillbirth, and infant death, and I and I got the royalty statement in the mail. And that book has sold twenty six thousand copies over the years, which is over twenty years. So not wow. a lot of copies in terms of like you know in the moment, but twenty six thousand people whose hearts were breaking had the chance to read something that hopefully brought them comfort. So so I guess I just feel like I, it almost sounds like I'm going to fall off the planet tomorrow. This almost feels like a legacy conversation, but I'm, I'm loving that fact that I feel that, that I'm, I'm freed of that hill climbing feeling. And I just feel like um, I can enjoy and savor. And I think I've never been good at that. I've always been chasing yeah. the next opportunity or worrying like panicked almost like I'm running from a train approaching me that kind of feeling and now sometimes I can just look and and be in the moment like I know I'd read the theory of mindfulness but maybe this is what <laughs> mindfulness actually feels like I love that you shared that so many of us for years decades as you shared it's survival mode it is yeah. survival mode we are trying to make it work. We are, you know, the logistics of running a household and a family and, and keeping it all going. And then we worry about each of our children individually and all of that. And it's always, you don't have time often to even reflect on or think about a win because the next crisis has already happened. Um, this idea that, hey, you know what? Look back. You've accomplished some stuff. You've done good in your life. We women need that. We need to do it for ourselves. And we need to do it for each other. Um, we can't yet count on the world to be patting us on the back and rewarding us for our accomplishments. But we are doing good in this world. And we've said on this podcast often, you know, the work that we are doing parenting, the work that we are doing raising our boys, because this is on boys podcast. That's what's going to change the world. Yeah, I mean, parenting is a gift to the future. And each and every one of us who've put in that time, we have um, opened up all kinds of new possibilities for the world. And I feel that 100%. And, and I feel like also parenting is not done because there are times when I'm having a conversation with one of my kids and I'm, I'm concerned about the way they're interpreting something. And like, we know there's a lot of strange conspiracy theories out there. Sometimes you have to like push back against misinformation. And so I feel like uh, even 30 years from now, if you check in with me, I'll probably still have parenting on my to-do list on any given day, but in a way that doesn't involve having to have groceries and drive people everywhere. It's just, it's a, it's a much more luxurious feeling of parenting. I'm still very much at the grocery stage. I was gone for a week. You don't want to know how much I spent on groceries before I left. Just so, and the, the checkout, the young high school age checkout person said, oh, looks like you're stocking up for a few months. And I just laughed. I'm like, no, no, I have teenage and young adult males at my house. It's like a miracle if you can get the groceries in the house before they're eaten. Yes. And your book is Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and wildly encouraging guide for midlife women. I know that you have a couple other places um, online where you are sharing information. Uh, where can other people find you and, and connect and interact? 
Yes, I still spend too much time on Twitter. So I'm Ann Douglas on Twitter. And I write a midlife blog for psychology today. Probably the easiest way to find me and all my sort of midlife stuff is just to go to annedouglas.ca, A-N-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S.ca. And that's sort of like a launching pad to things I'm doing. I'm going to have all these links in the show notes. So if you don't remember that, just go to On Boys Podcast and you can just click directly from there. And thank you so much. Um, listeners, I did have the opportunity to have dinner with Anne um, in New York a number of years ago at a writing conference and haven't been able to repeat that, but it was a joy to speak with you again. Thank you. It was so much fun that day, and I knew this conversation was going to be fabulous. So this was actually one of my treats to myself of the day, was getting to talk to you. So thank you so much. Oh, it's a high point of my day, too. Here's to those of us who are slogging through, who are doing the work. Let's celebrate together our accomplishments and who we are at Midlife. Yep, Midlife. If you're there, hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Jen and Anne. Thank you for being here. We are the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being our listeners. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.